Earth needs a hero. That's right. That's the tagline for Halo 2, which is the game we'll be talking about today on Video Gameography, the podcast where we explore the most important game franchises. Podcast, boy, I'm just going to start that one over. The, <laughs> this is not, this is Video Gameography, the podcast. You, you know what? I've been doing this for 10 episodes. You think I'd have it down by now. The podcast where we explore the most important franchises in game history, one title at a time. I'm Ben Reeves. And I'm Marcus Stewart. And you heard him laughing. We got him. Wade Wojcik. <laughs> Wade Wojcik. Yeah, that's right. Uh, big shot Hollywood director himself. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. How would you introduce yourself, Wade? I like, you know, former game and former video editor. You're still calling yourself that when people ask you what you do? Uh, well, I guess no, but it is on my Twitter bio because like, you know, who, when would why would you want to take that off your Twitter bio? <laughs> I agree. You know how long I had former GI intern on my Twitter bio? <laughs> Until you got to replace it with editor. <laughs> yes, it was a very simple edit. <laughs> Former GI intern on mine, and I was never an intern. <laughs> That's how cool it is. Well, Wade, thanks for being here. Thanks for thanks for having me. This is uh, this is going to be so much fun. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, we are excited to have you because you're a big Halo fan. Even you know when you were in the office when you got hired, you know Andy came back and he's like, "Yeah, we got a guy." He's really good at video production, huge game fan. He's such a fan. He makes his own Halo outfits and he's making a <laughs> Halo fan film. Yeah, it's funny. I thought I was like, well, I mean, I like Halo a lot. I don't know if I'm going to be known as the Halo guy or not. It turns out that is a high bar because Matt Miller is like as much as I love the story and lore of Halo. I, well, I guess I don't know who loves it more, but Miller knows a lot more about it than I do. Well, Miller never made his own Halo film like you made a Halo film. Some people listening might not be aware, but what what happened with that? Give us the real quick dive on that. I started filming that fan film about a month after being hired a Game Informer when Extra Life was going on. Extra Life 2014. We started shooting when that was going on. And I felt so bad because Hanson, like he's a one he was a one man video per team during that time. And I felt like, oh, I mean, he didn't say I had to be there, but I felt like, oh, shoot, like it's only two video people. I should help out with this. So I was there for about a quarter of the time, a third of the time. But yeah, we were filming in Wisconsin that day. What happened was back in the late aughts, the the early teens of, of, of this millennium, Halo fan films exploded. There was this perfect collision of cheap filmmaking tools like DSLR cameras and other like HD cameras. And cosplay halo cosplay pepecura mo making molds and casts and uh, and eva foam like all these great tools that made it easy and cheaper than ever to make halo armor everyone wanted to make master chief some people made marines and we were the the friends and i that started making this film we were really inspired by other people who had made who were working on fan films back before halo reach came out there was even one called operation chastity that got an xbox magazine but, you know, before Reach, all they had to go on was the Halo 3 Marine armor. And, and it's not that cool looking when you bring it into real life. Master Chiefs is, but not the Marine armor. So we, we modeled ours off of the Reach design. And the unfortunate thing is we found out not a lot of fan films end up getting made because it's so hard to do. It, it seems easy. You're like, oh, I got a DSLR. I got a Halo costume. Put them together. <laughs> Just throw them together. And hey, where's my film? Just put them in a blender. The the 
the stories in Halo games are so enormous with so many crazy things happening that that's what people tended to want to make into a movie because what happened was you know Peter Jackson was supposed to make this great Halo fan film back in like 2006 2007 it never happened yeah his was going to be a fan film too that's how hard it is even he couldn't do it <laughs> exactly so <laughs> so um everyone wanted that movie still and that i think was the energy that that people had including me and my friends we found out it's 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 very hard it took us about 9 years to finally finish even after filming it in 2014, 2015, it still took us another four years or so to finally get through post-production. What's funny is like, I, 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 I didn't even have it finished by the time I left Game Informer, but, uh, Reeves, you and, uh, Hanson and Leo came to the premiere, which was so awesome. You guys came yeah, and that uh, was super fun to go to a movie theater and watch a film that somebody I knew had made. I'd never yeah. done that before. It was a fun That's experience. Cool. Was that part of like a, a film festival or did you rent out a theater to show this or I rented out a theater. I mean, I, I wanted to have this big event to just celebrate it. Um, yeah. We talked about, Oh, what if we sell tickets? I'm like, don't even bother. Let's just have everyone fill the theater. That'll look cooler on Facebook than, you know, <laughs> a, a, a 12 people that wanted to pay. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was great. We had an after party at this bar and that was probably one of the highlights of the last 10 years of just having this release of it's done. Now I can hang out and talk to everybody. And that's awesome. And you also beat every other filmmaker that's ever wanted to make a halo movie. In there, there, there are a few others out there. Um, you're a move, Peter Jackson, <laughs> <laughs> but I was just, I was just really happy to be part of, yeah, the few that, that released their fan films. So, but thank you for asking about it. It's called Dawn under heaven, which is not a lot of people know this. Bungie had made a sister ship to the pillar of autumn and it was an identical ship, the uh, Halcyon class cruiser that they ended up not putting in any of the games, but they apparently spent a lot of time trying to name it. And we thought, Hey, what a great, concept to carry into a fan film something that bungie put a lot of love into and and effort into but then never used so that's the story behind that that. ship was never in a game no no so weird that's where that's where that name comes from dawn under heaven you said right yeah and can people watch it now if they wanted to yep it's on youtube if you just search dawn under heaven it'll pop right up so it's uh it's it's there it'll be there in perpetuity (laughs) that's right just try to take it down microsoft on that note there was a copyright issue um, was it earlier on? Yeah. And initially you couldn't have the name, the word halo in your, your project. Yeah. I don't th- I think you still can't, uh, legally, but they did eventually say you can monetize it. So that was really cool of Microsoft to do. It's like, you can use their IP. You can even monetize it on YouTube, but you can't, there's like a few rules you have to abide by. So I just love that they offer that for the community. That's great. Yeah. Well, you were originally going to call it, it takes two under heaven, right? <laughs> and you decided to change it for legal reasons. That's right. Yeah, it was it was a very last minute. It just upset a lot of people, but it had to be done. That was probably smart. Well, Wade, uh, let's get into it. Let's get into Halo 2. You're on to talk about the second Halo game. That's right. I would love to know your impression of Halo 2. What did you think of the game? When did you first play it? That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it was right around the release, probably within six months of when it came out in 2004. I had been very new to the Xbox. My brother had Halo 1. And, you know, it's funny. Halo 1 is obviously this incredible, you know, landmark film. It, it or not film, geez, I'm still in the movie mindset. It's this landmark game of bringing incredible first person shooters to console 
previously that was essentially a, a Mac and PC thing. At the time, I didn't see it as very revolutionary. Halo 1, I th- I had been playing a lot of Perfect Dark with friends and thought, okay, yeah, it's like it's got vehicle play, but it's it's kind of similar. Even though now I know that's not true. Go back and play Perfect Dark versus going back to play Halo. I mean, just even bringing twin sticks to a first person shooter is incredibly revolutionary. But then Halo 2 came out and that really is where I got hooked as a Halo fan. Because I enjoyed Halo 1, but I, I thought to myself, oh, like Perfect Dark, this is a great just one and done sort of game. It, it, has, it tells a story, it comes to a conclusion, and I'm happy walking away from this series. But then I saw You're this saying great... Halo 2 told a conclusion? No, 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 I'm sorry, Halo 1. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. If I, if I misspoke, I apologize. I, with Halo 1, I felt like it, it told a, a really nice, rounded story that I could just walk away from. And then with Halo 2, it... it it's almost one of those perfect sequels where it doesn't just retread on what was successful in the first place. It takes you back to that universe, but then it expands upon it and grows the universe in a way that that makes it so much more fulfilling of an experience. You learn more about the Covenant's culture and the Arbiter and all these cool new characters that previously it was just, you know, aliens that you couldn't understand them and whatever, just shoot them, who cares? They really grew the universe in, in a pleasing way. One thing that I love is how they talked about how they had all this excitement from Halo 1 that they weren't able to put into the game. And so that really fueled the uh, development for Halo 2. But I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. As far as playing it, um, the thing that really got me into it, though, was uh, weekly LAN parties. That was a thing. I was, in, I was early in, in high school at the time. And every week we'd go to a friend's house and just hook up a few TVs and just play Slayer nonstop. Not online, just, you know, eight feet or 4v4, whatever we could do. It was the most addicting thing I think I had done up to that point. More than heroin. <laughs> <laughs> I think and honestly, it's just back in a box, right? More addictive <laughs> than heroin. <laughs> and I have to really thank Microsoft for coming out with the second generation Xbox controller after the Duke, because I could not play that thing. The second controller, which was almost like a precursor to the 360 controller, that was a much better experience. Anyway. So th- I guess so I've playing- never thought about that before, but you're right. Cause I mean, I'm sure I played the first game on a Duke. I didn't even think about that, but then the second one, by the time the second game came out, the, those new S pads, I think they were calling them were out. It really made a big difference, but yeah. So for me, the weekly land parties with friends, that's really what made me obsessed with halo when I was 16. And that just, it hooked me in. Mm-hmm. What about you, Marcus? Yeah. Uh, this will probably be the theme for most of these episodes that it's always a tale of two first where like the first time i played the campaign was a few years ago in the master chief collection but i played halo 2 at at its time you know multiplayer land parties in 04 and out of all the halo games halo 2 was probably the one uh like you wade where it like really hooked me and it's the one i have like the most fond memories of like just weird stuff at that time for one it came out on my birthday november 9th so it's like one of the few video game release days i still remember cemented i didn't need to get a tattoo to remember it it's like no i'm just born that day but it's cool to see my birthday on a human being's arm and yeah like even one of my i was in in high school too we might be around the same age wade um i was probably about a sophomore at the time i was too yeah okay yeah high five sophomore oh (laughs) four like this is weird but the one thing i always think of with halo 2 was going to um going to land parties and there was one particular land party i went to with some friends where we invited a kid who was um, 
basically like the, the like the jerk in every friend group where you're like i don't know why we hang out with this dude but we he keeps coming to our things <laughs> um we uh we have like a huge land party a lot of fun and we ordered pizza and the pizza came and this guy who was really into the game he did not want to stop playing halo we kind of forced him to go answer the door and pay like we gave him all of our (laughs) cash that we pulled together like just go get the pizza and so like he was so adamant about not doing it that he just kind of snatched it ran to the door opens the door like literally before the guy can kind of say like hey here's your pizza he like yanked the boxes away from him and then i kid you not he threw the money at him like (laughs) wads of cash and coins like "Eh, here and like coins fall on the ground this poor guy's like bending over having to pick him up and then he just slams the door in his face wow <laughs> and then walks back in like nothing was wrong and we all saw this like dude what was that <laughs> he had to get he, back to uh the shotgun and lockout that's exactly he was like i i just really want to get back in there basically <laughs> that's that is the power of halo 2 folks is that it makes you a giant jerk but I always have that image in my mind when I think about Halo land parties. But yeah, like so many multiplayer sessions, like and also just bad bets that I was making with one friend in particular who because I never had an original Xbox. I said this in the last episode, so I, I only played with friends, so I couldn't get as good as they did because they had the game. But there was one dude I played with and we were good friends and I kept making stupid bets that I could beat him one on one. And I never did. <laughs> but we kept doing it. I was in a weird betting phase at that point. In my I, life. I, I had a friend. So the guy who hosted our land parties, he was the only one of us who had Xbox live and he was really good. He was the best one of all of us. Cause he would just play nonstop against ranked people online. And so similar situation where none of us could beat him. Hey, hold on, hold on. The pizza delivery guys here. I got to throw some money at it. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> See, Halo 2. It's, it's a great game with some, interesting history attached to and, and thinking back though so when i was a sophomore i took my very first video production course in high school and one of the projects was a i, I did a video short film about it was like a, a mockumentary about how there was like 12 of us locked in a house for a month and we had to play halo every day and we eventually lost our minds and had to go to like halo rehab wow this is like <laughs> a movie you said yeah, it's not very good, but it's like a you know a short film that I made in Come high school. <laughs> From the director of Dawn Under Heaven? I don't believe it. It's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I was working at GameStop at the time, and it was one of those midnight launches. It was one of the ones, one of the first ones I think I'd ever worked. And so it was kind of fun to be there in the excitement and watching this 10-minute making of documentary on loop on our TV at GameStop and then watching the people line up outside while we're starting to unpack the boxes. And then, you know, handing him out the, the event, it was, it was fun to be there and I stayed up late and then my plan was to just go home and play Halo all night. And that's basically what I did, but it was, (laughs) it was also that weird thing of, I think we've talked about, this is the same year that San Andreas came out when San Andreas Mm -hmm. was only a few weeks old at that point. So I was still playing that game as well. And I remember just being like, I really want to play both of these games and I don't know which one I want to play first. Like I want to sweat myself like an amoeba. Yeah. Well, should we dive into just the development history? Heck yeah. Let's go. The game came out November 9th, 2004. Yeah. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, <laughs> Marcus. So cast your mind back to 2004. We've actually talked about this year before because uh, it's the year that Metroid Prime 3 Corruption came out. Yeah, or Metroid 2. You are correct. No, it's it's funny, though. We'll talk about this next episode 
because I was thinking about 2007, which is when Halo 3 and Metroid Prime 3 came out. They were on a weird like release track there for a while. So yeah, so 2004, the other games of 2004 were Doom 3, Half-Life 2, Dragon Quest 8, San Andreas, as we said, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, Pokemon Fire Red and Leaf Green, Prince of Persia the Warrior Within, the first Far Cry, the first Monster Hunter, and World of Warcraft. Pretty good year for shooters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, really good year for shooters with, you know, Half-Life 2 in there as well. Another just hugely iconic shooter. And then Doom 3, which people at the time were excited about it. <laughs> yeah, people like there's people that like Doom 3. Yeah. The Nintendo DS also launched that year. In the, the movie theaters were Spider-Man 2, The Incredibles, Meet the Fockers. You guys remember when people were really into the Meet the Parents series? <laughs> I was. I, I, I love those two movies. I never saw the other ones. But well, there was a third one, wasn't there? I think there's like four, right? Because like there's little Fockers. Mm-hmm. Is that the third one or the fourth one? I know there's more. <laughs> I maintain those first two movies are funny. But what a good year for sequels because, I mean, Spider-Man 2, that was the biggest thing in superheroes. Back in oh, that yeah. in those days, it might still be the best superhero movie. Yeah, ever. <laughs> I just watched it in preparation for the new Spider-Man. It's like prior to the MCU, that was earth shattering. <laughs> oh, for me, yeah. As a huge Spider-Man fan, I had that movie on UMD when the PSB came out, and I watched it so many times. One for the novelty of watching a feature-length film on a handheld, but also yeah. because Spider-Man Two is amazing. Yep, <laughs> I, I wore that thing out. Here's one other interesting note about 2004. Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook. That's right. Beginning of the end of us <laughs> all. The beginning of the end of us all. So we really can't rewind time, but boy, yeah. I wish I could. Do you mean he started the metaverse in 2004? <laughs> I'm That's sorry. Right. I, the, yeah, it's, it was smudged here. It says metaverse. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, let's dive into the development of Halo 2. We talked last episode a lot about the founding of Bungie up through Halo. I think we communicated that development of the first Halo was kind of hard, kind of challenging, a lot of grind. Development of Halo 2, by and large, way worse. And as far as I can tell, it was probably the worst development of any Halo ever. They they ground themselves to the bone. Uh, people just constantly talking about like, yeah, we were working so hard. We were People were breaking up. Uh, there were divorces. There were just like families torn apart because of this game. Which is interesting because it ended up being this giant landmark game that everybody loves. I think it's one of my personal favorite Halos, just time and place. I'm not saying it's the best or anything, but it's one of my personal favorites just for where I was when I played it. I'd be really curious to look into what was the prevalence of crunch around that time and how bad it was versus like where it is now and how Halo 2 affected that. Because the sense I get is, oh, if you just crunch on a game you know, providing inhuman hours, you can actually make a lot of money and get a lot of hype for your franchise. Okay, let's do that. Right. Yeah, it's um, it's a shame, though. Yeah, it is. One thing we didn't talk about last episode was the game Oni. Do you guys remember the game Oni? I do. I never played it. Made by Bungie West. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. The game Bungie put out right before Halo. It came out the same year as Halo, but like in January of that year of 2001. It was Bungie West, so it was actually a separate team. You're correct, Wade. And it kind of, I don't know. I remember playing it and thinking it was okay. I wasn't blown away by it. 
But that team, once they finished that, they kind of got pulled off and they were helping do a little bit of work on Halo's multiplayer. And they were promised once that was done, they would get to go and do their own new game, completely separate thing. They were actually calling it Monster Hunter. That was the name of the game. That's right. Isn't that wild? It reminds me, it reminds me of like how the they're supposed to be the Nintendo PlayStation. Oh, right. Back, yeah. Back when Nintendo and Sony were partners, so to speak. Yeah. It's one of those situations where it reminds you that a lot of game titles are ultimately pretty generic when you think about it. Like we're so mm-hmm. used to being like, oh, this is an iconic name. You're like, Monster Hunter is not a hard thing to come up with. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. Because <laughs> didn't Insomniac pitch an Uncharted game before Uncharted? Yeah, yeah, we were at Sucker Punch. This was like for or Sucker Punch. Yeah, no, it was Sucker Punch because we were talking to like Nate Fox. I want to say it was Infamous 2, actually, that it was it, well, whatever. It doesn't matter what the cover story was about. We were talking to Nate Fox and he was like, yeah, we did a pitch. This was before Uncharted where we pitched Sony on a game called Uncharted, but it was obviously a very different game that didn't get made. My point was Bungie was working on a game called Monster Hunter with the team who'd made Oni. And actually, this is kind of like the theme of Halo 2 is that it felt like Bungie didn't really want to make Halo, didn't really want to make Halo 2 necessarily. They kind of wanted to experiment and do a bunch of other stuff because there was another game that they started. Jason Jones rolled off of the first Halo and started working on a game called Phoenix, which by all accounts was a fantasy themed strategy game. There was another project that Bungie was working on at the time called Gypsum, which was some kind of third person fantasy action game. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. So yeah, they, they were just, there were all these projects that they wanted to make. <laughs> they were like, let's work on anything except Halo. They just knew this was going to be the torturous project. For them. <laughs> and eventually through the course of development of Halo, those other games got canceled and the teams got kind of rolled up into the Halo two development. Cause obviously Microsoft has a hit on their hands. They, they want another Halo. Yeah. What I find so interesting is there's sort of like a, a, a bouncing back and forth with uh, early Bungie between future sci-fi and fantasy with like myth. And then there was almost like you wanting to go back to, to fantasy, but nope, Halo's too popular of a franchise now. We got to stick with that. Yeah, because even good before we even get into the lore stuff, like it was never envisioned as a trilogy. Right. Uh, when they were writing the story for the first one, it was always meant to be kind of a one and done. Watching, there's a really great, about hour long behind the scenes on YouTube for Halo 2. And I love how they talk about, especially now we know with the the storyboards of the end of Halo 2, how it was supposed to be. There's supposed to be like Halo 2 and then that's the end of the story. It's like Master Chief goes back to Earth. They fight with the Arbiter and it's a big conclusion and that's it. And I just think like, how crazy to think that there's like an alternate universe where there's just two Halo games and then that's it. And they, they moved <laughs> on to the next thing. Well, it just they finished the fight. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that alternate universe existing because after the success of the first game, like it was just like a snowball rolling downhill. Like it, the yeah. Halo popularity just continued to build on itself. So I they would have had to put out like the worst possible game ever. <laughs> like Halo Two would have had to just been a huge stinker. You know, it had its flaws, but it was still a pretty good game. So I just can't imagine, even if it were like kind of average, I think. Halo yeah. 3. Microsoft still would have wanted a Halo 3, you know? It, it ranked pretty high on Game Informer's ranking of the Halo games, if I remember correctly. Halo 2? Yeah, Halo 2. Yeah, number 2. Number 2, yeah. So it's like, it's funny, you go back and play it, 
you, you can play it the anniversary version, but then look at the old graphics. And yeah, like there's, there's, you know, it's a little rough around the edges at, at, at points, but it's such, it's so beloved. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it may not have aged super well in some areas, but it will always have that certain place in people's hearts. So I think that's to me why it tends to rank pretty highly still because, you know, it, it tells a really cool story. There's a lot of memorable, iconic characters. It propelled the series into the stratosphere. And it was just like, you know, it had all these things going for it. There's land parties, obviously, but Halo 1 had that. I mean, Xbox Live, it it shot that into the stratosphere as well. So just so many things that made it this incredible experience. Yeah. And then they had then they had to make Halos again and again for six years after that. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely going to be the theme we'll notice over the coming episodes. It'll be interesting. Vice made a really interesting making of. It's an oral history with a lot of the people from Bungie throughout the years. And Joe Staten, who is one of the, you know, the lore masters of Halo, said an interesting thing as they were starting to, to make the game. It seems like Jason Jones had a certain idea of things that needed to happen. And this is this is Joe talking. He said one of the things that needed in quotes to happen in the sequel was that Captain Keys has a daughter. And she's really mad at the master chief. So she puts a bomb on his back and throws him into a hole. And I was like, <laughs> hold on a second. You want to make the daughter of captain keys, one of the villains. And he says, yeah, it's going to be great. And I'm just like, dude, I don't see it. I think it was the longest conversation that we had at in halo two was wrestling out that one scene. They have more of a problem with her revenge method. <laughs> just the most like, cartoony way of getting rid of somebody like i'm gonna put a big big old bomb on your back i'm gonna knock you into a hole yeah at least <laughs> take, they can take the suit off first or something this is joe continuing that conversation he says finally we talked through what the interest was in that idea and i think what jason really cared about was at some point this superhuman master chief had all his tools taken away from him and he had to face an even bigger cha- challenge and that became, for better or worse, the Master Chief being pulled away by the grave mind and set on a different right. path. Right. Jason Jones had this weird idea. I think I read somewhere that he was going through a bad breakup at the time, too. So <laughs> maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, but really wanted like the Master Chief to like just be broken down. That is so fascinating. I hadn't heard that. But that reminds me of how I'm taking a, a, a character that you think of positively and making them sort of villainous. Makes me think of how... I think it was the marketing for Halo one. They had an uh, ARG with Cortana where she was some sort of like villainous character. And then how they were like initially early on talks, how they wanted Cortana and Halo one to once she was put into the Halo and you're kind of going around with guilty spark. When you come back to her, she's like turned evil and wants to use the Halo against humanity. But then they decided against that. And then it made me think oh. of Halo 5 and yada, yada, yada. But it's like, I'm glad they circled back to I that. know. <laughs> this is a good idea. We should really just keep doubling down on this. But it, it just really hammers home the idea that, like, even the person in charge can have bad ideas and people should second guess these things. I mean, you see it with Star Wars, how... You're saying there were bad ideas in Star Wars? <laughs> no, never. Sorry. One thing we should talk about with Halo 2 is the Arbiter. That was like one of those surprise things. It reminded me of Metal Gear Solid 2, where you're playing the game and then all of a sudden the main protagonist isn't who you think it is. That that was Metal Gear Solid. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't know about this riding guy. I don't don't really want to play the whole. I kept waiting the whole game to like, when am I going to play the snake again? Which obviously didn't happen. But in Halo, it's like you kind of flip flop, you know, you play a mission as chief and then you play a mission as arbiter. And that's 
something very, very unique to Halo 2. Well, the Halo 5 did something similar. <laughs> but you, you only play as the Covenant in Halo 2, I think, right? Yeah, pretty sure. Did you guys like the Arbiter? I was kind of like, oh, I don't want to play as this guy. I thought it was cool. Again, I came to the campaign much, much, much later <laughs> than you guys. But I thought that was a cool shakeup of like basically having two like dual narratives and going back to forward. I think the Arbiter is a cool character. And it was funny because like for years, just from friends, I would always hear the name Arbiter thrown around. Like I think they threw him in the new Killer Instinct at one point and everyone was like going across like, who's the Arbiter? I thought it was like a ship. It sounded like a ship name to me. I was yeah. like, it was like a, is that Master Chief's like plane? <laughs> That's how clueless I was about Halo's lore because I would hear Master Chief and Arbiter together a lot of the times. But I, I mean, for one, he's voiced by Keith David. So like, automatically by default he's cool <laughs> he does have so. the benefit of having a really awesome voice that's right I, I i guess i'm in the same camp i was never bothered by the fact that you play as the arbiter i kind of liked it you, you like like you said marcus you get this two halves of the story and then they come together and that coming together i think is probably important because one of the things you know going into the story you're like hey these halos are going to kill all life in the galaxy and the covenant it, it's so cool learning like why the covenant is doing what they're doing in halo 2 and halo 1 you're just like oh they want to kill humanity for some reason i don't know but then in halo 2 you realize oh they have this incredible hierarchical dogma um you know structure and the arbiter is sort of caught up in yeah. that and then so seeing those two halves play each side and then coming together when they are captured by the grave mind and then go off again it's just so cool because like if you weren't playing as the Arbiter, then you wouldn't get to see what would happen with uh, Miranda Keys and, and Johnson and Guilty Spark. Like you, you kind of have that crisscross of characters. So it just it just is a really interesting weaving of the characters in the story that I enjoyed. Also, just in general, he's a more interesting personality than Chief. You know, Chief's cool, but he's also very one note. He's just kind of he's pretty much just like, yeah. I'm going to get this done. Like, no doubt whatsoever. The Arbiter is a lot more pathos and he's just a more fully fleshed out character in general with everything that's going on with yeah, him. he's dealing with self-doubt and and the shame yeah he's like, like delusionment like religious delusions <laughs> right in the beginning he's like he's trying to be like master chief where he's telling the the hierarchs i will continue my campaign i'm gonna get it done and then like nope strip him of everything and then uh brand him and then you know he's gonna basically sent off to die in this suicide mission so it's really interesting seeing yeah his inner conflict in a way that you don't really see that with chief I agree. Well, and the, the idea is that he was the guy who was responsible for the Halo in Halo 1. That's right. He basically got blamed for Halo getting blown up, even though it wasn't really his fault entirely. But how do you blame just one guy for that? I don't. I think it's like it's like they did. <laughs> from my understanding, I could be totally wrong. But my read of the game is that that's the first time the Covenant have found a Halo ring as well. And so they were following the Pillar of Autumn from reach and then the arbiter was the shipmaster in command and when they saw halo they were like were you blinded by its majesty and it's like by the time the hierarchs got there it was already destroyed so they were pissed like we didn't even get to see this thing and and use it and da 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 and so they had all that righteous fury they had to enact yeah because in their religion the halo like they don't know that it's actually gonna a weapon that's gonna wipe out everyone they think it's gonna lead to like right. divine salvation so it's like a and that's why they're against humanity. Because humanity, you know, the humans figure out that this is a problem first, and eventually the Arbiter figures that out too, and that leads to the conflict. Hey, guy, like he's trying to tell everyone else, like, no, 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 this is bad. <laughs> but yes, nobody believes. Although him. there was a really recent, um, I think, bit of lore drop. I saw this on a, a Halo uh, canon 
uh, YouTube video where he was talking about there was like a recent thing that was released saying the prophet of truth probably did. He might have known what the halos did, but he wanted to wipe the galaxy of like anyone who would oppose him. So that's why he switches that. That's why he like he was already trying to switch the elites with the brutes because they're dumber and more manipulatable. And then he was going to like do away with them eventually. So that was the reasoning, I think, why in Halo 3, he's a little less politically conniving. And in Halo 3, he's a lot more like, I will burn everyone. <laughs> oh, one of those types of guys. Yeah, <laughs> that's just I, I don't know if that's 100 percent correct, but. Yeah, he has his own uh, channel late at night asking for donations. Well, yeah, because sticking with the Arbiter real quick, just for a minute, there's a quote. This is again from the Vice story from Jamie Greesimer, who was very instrumental in Halo 1 and 2. He was one of the design leads on Halo 2. He says that for 97% of the game's development, the Arbiter was the Dervish. Like they actually <laughs> called it, they called the Arbiter the Dervish. Like that was his name. Uh, I'm going to be careful here because I don't remember all the details, but the name refers to a special set apart role in the religion of Islam. It's kind of like a holy warrior. So it was a really, it was fit idea of this distinguished, extremely powerful, almost blessed by the gods warrior. But then 9-11 happened right before we shipped Halo. And then the tone and the atmosphere at the time was very complicated, especially when it came to Islam. At the last minute, somebody in legal probably at Microsoft, said that we couldn't use the name Dervish. Half of it was like, we shouldn't appropriate somebody else's religion or their beliefs for something goofy and sci-fi. And part of it was we don't want to antagonize anybody, but it was a really complicated thing. And you know, later on, I read that they, they already had a bunch of lines of dialogue recorded. They had to go back and re-edit everything, and it was a huge pain in the ass. You think they still have that somewhere? Uh, that's a. Just, I wonder if they would ever re-release that for like an anniversary or something, uh, or if they can. Uh, it would be. I agree with you. It'd be interesting. I yeah, it's hard to imagine they would actually re-release that stuff. I think like I thought Marty O'Donnell tweeted something in the last year or two where he said he had like like scripts and recordings from unreleased stuff from Halo Two. So I'm sure there's like there's got to be stuff out there. I, we we know that there was the storyboards from the original ending, so it's really cool to see that the lost gems of what might have been. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, last episode we talked about Alex Seropian, who founded Bungie. He actually left in 2002, so kind of midway through the development of Halo 2 to create Wide Load Games, which they made Stubbs the Zombie and Hail to the Chimp, if you guys remember those games. Yep. They eventually got bought by Disney, so I think he's doing okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Create two companies and then one of them gets bought by Microsoft and the other one gets bought by Disney. That's impressive. That's something that um, I haven't looked into, but I'm curious about. I wonder if, I mean, was it something like he wasn't interested in the success Halo had and the trajectory that was on or was trying to do his own thing for a while? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those weird things of... I think he just wanted to work on a bunch of other stuff and maybe he was reading the tea leaves and he was like, yeah, Halo is going to be the thing we work on for all time now. Gotcha. I got to get out while I can, which kind of left Jason Jones, who was one of the other early Bungie employees as kind of like the big man in charge. But he was really passionate about that Phoenix game and really wanted to work on that. And so development on Halo 2 was very like fractured and a lot of people were sort of like fighting amongst themselves among who should be in charge. 
this might be reading into it a bit much, but just hearing about all the infighting and stuff with Bungie and knowing that Halo 2, like one of the main plot points is a civil war within the That's government. That's an interesting point. Yeah, the Great Schism. There's anything there or not. That is interesting to think about. A writer was like, I'm going to take out my frustrations in this narrative a little that, bit. That, I mean, the sense I get from what what I've seen of of Bungie from that era is, yeah, like you said, they're were teams that weren't communicating effectively with each other would make a decision, but then it would like be undone by another department. Someone would make some asset that would have to be redone because someone else changed. Like, I mean, that probably happens all the time in the industry, but there was um, a, a general sense of dysfunction to some degree that probably helped and hindered. I mean, I think the way it might've helped was one of the things that they'd they would, they said at this one documentary I was watching how someone will like, come up with this crazy idea like boarding vehicles and then that'll make someone else inspired to try some other idea. And so they kind of like leapfrog off each other. Yeah. It would have been an interesting development environment to be in. You know, they, they talk about that E3 presentation in 2003 as being kind of a big moment for the development of the game. Do you guys remember that E3 demo? Yes. Cause it was on, uh, it was on the halo one disc that my brother had. Right. It must have been a different a different version of the game, but it was where you're in on Earth and it's not in Halo 2. You're yeah, you're fighting and it's a lot more. It struck me as being a lot more Band of Brothers, a lot more strictly militaristic where they're like, where's the LT? You know, the lieutenant and doing like really rigid militaristic things. Watch yeah, my six. Exactly. Not to say they don't do that nowadays, but it just kind of struck me as a lot more differently. And and which makes sense because one of the feedback, one of the things they got, one of the criticisms from Halo 1 was that it wasn't super accurate to the Marines. And so they wanted to be a little bit more accurate. But yeah, it was like, that's when they introduced the dual wielding. And then the whole thing culminates with taking out um, one of the anti-air guns, I think. Or one of the like, big set pieces blows up. And I think that was the end of it. Yeah, and I think you can mount, you know, there's the ghost running at you, you jump on it, you take it over. That was a big thing. There was a lot of stuff that ended up in the game, and it was a huge... I remember, I wasn't in the industry at the time, but I remember reading all about this demo, and it seemed like everybody was talking about Halo showing at E3 as like one of the big games of the show. But then behind the scenes, that demo was all smoke and mirrors. It was all sort of hand-painted, and everything was like just sort of... Uh, it was like cardboard with sticks propping it up. You're kidding. E3 demo is not real. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny because there's that Sergeant Johnson monologue in the beginning. Like this is no pre-recorded smoke and mirrors mm-hmm. BS. Oh, no. It's like, okay, <laughs> sure. Johnson, not you. Which only, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it reminded me a lot of, their first reveal of destiny, which is also Joe Staten on the sticks. And when he said like, look in the distance, you can go there. And then famously you couldn't, cause that was in the <laughs> Cosmodrome when you first start destiny one. And it's like, Nope, you can't, you can't go. You can't go there. There's so many places you cannot go in destiny. What? I don't even remember. Why would you say that for, for destiny? Yeah, it was, it was the, yeah, that was the, the 2013 like GDC reveal, I think, or, uh, I thought th- I thought it was GDC or E3, one of those two. What a wild thing to say! Like, yeah. You know how this world is structured. <laughs> well, he's a writer. Like, Forgive him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I but that was before he left. That was before the big change of destiny. Um, when when he was still at Bungie, it was going to be I think something a little different, and then it shifted gears, and then they had that gigantic last year of crunch when they had to delay it. So who knows? Maybe you maybe you would have been able to walk there. Well, I don't know. Speaking of crunch. 
yeah, with Halo 2, after this E3 showing, the team came back and they had this sort of come to Jesus moment where they're like, uh, if we're going to make this work, it's, we really got to get all hands on deck and like really do this thing because now everybody's excited about yeah. the game and we don't have a game. So that's when they canceled a lot of the projects and brought a lot of other people in from the other teams. And they did, they described it as coming up with a list of all the, all the, uh, the features that they wanted to have in order of importance and then start hacking from the bottom up um, until they could make it work. And it's like Joe Staten talks about how he wanted all these incredible cinematic moments to happen, but then it would like really mess up the frame rate and the frame mm. rate would get messed up. And so it would throw off the music cues for Marty's music. And it was just a cascade of negative effects. Yeah. It's, you know, this might be interesting for anyone listening that might either be younger or maybe only started following the industry closer in the last five, six years or so when you, that might, be surprised to hear like maybe you think this is a recent thing but like you hear the same stories with like cyberpunk's development or like anthems too uh yeah this stuff was definitely going on <laughs> way yeah. way back then um it's just that we know more about it now because the internet social media you know things get out there yeah that's right like like how where where would people post about crunch back in 2003 yeah they just complained about it amongst each other they complained about it to their wives <laughs> yeah, live, live like, journal <laughs> one of the features they actually cut uh speaking of cut features was uh the multiplayer mode it was a multiplayer mode called warfare mode because originally they were like we need to do multiplayer we need to like go big or go home oh. it's gonna be larger maps it's gonna be larger teams of players there's gonna be ai running around the field players can call in airstrikes they had all these huge ideas, some of which sounded a lot like what ended up in Halo 5, but this was Halo 2, and they had cut it. They just couldn't make it, and wow. it was funny because one of the team members was like, well, wait, we we should still do like the traditional Slayer you know, multiplayer modes, and they were like, okay, you and a smaller team, go ahead and do that as like <laughs> the little you know, multiplayer yeah. Like a throwaway thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then when they cut warfare mode, they were, they went back to him and they're like, uh, by the way, we need that now. We need some kind of multiplayer now. And that ended up being like one of the, you know, multiplayer in Halo. That's yeah. maybe arguably more important than campaign, right? Especially in this time. This was like 2003 and four. This is like the height of Xbox Live on the original Xbox, you know, right? And just like, online gaming being like you know it's still early for like modern online gaming but this is where it kind of hit that fever pit like i remember being jealous being a ps2 owner on the other side and you know it took a while for sony to kind of catch up to that <laughs> but being so jealous of my friends i could play online that seemed like amazing to me like what you guys can play with each other and you're not in the same room like i want to do that yeah <laughs> so i could definitely see that mentality like we have to we have to one up what we did before no matter what that was such a really interesting combination of factors because i believe sega tried a similar virtual couch with the uh with the dreamcast but one of the issues was that i don't think the dreamcast had a hard drive so the the it was slower communication between the servers because it was like wasn't wasn't reading the data as fast so like i think that was why they wanted the xboxes to have hard drives with them so it was faster communication with the with the servers it was like little things that- you had to buy the modem for the dreamcast whereas 
you know, the Xbox had it built in because Microsoft yeah, same with the PS2. You have to buy that network adapter that I, I certainly bought yep. <laughs> when it came out. Yep. And the GameCube didn't even have one. So <laughs> they called it a fad at the time. Remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. They were like, I remember it was maybe Nintendo Power. There, there were. Yeah, there was like top five reasons why the GameCube doesn't have X. And it was like a DVD player. It's because it's for games. It's not for watching movies. <laughs> Nintendo must think the Internet's still a fad. The way they treat it sometimes. <laughs> That's Sooner right. Sooner or later, these kids will grow out of this. They'll figure it out. <laughs> they don't want the internet. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was interesting that you mentioned Xbox Live, Marcus, because Xbox Live launched in on November of 2002. And one of the, I should say, probably several people at Microsoft were initially thinking like, yeah, Halo 2 should be a launch title for Xbox Live. It's going to be a big thing. But that was just like a year after the launch of the first game. Like, that's insane to me that they were thinking about that. There's a quote, I think, from Ed Freeze. At one point, they were they were talking to the executives and they had a vote over whether or not they should force Bungie to actually release a game, even if it was incomplete. Hmm. They were like, let's just whatever it is, put it out because it's going to make money and we need to have a game to launch alongside our Xbox Live. That sounds like exactly like a thing an executive would think. Yeah, but they had this they had this vote on whether or not they should just force Bungie to put out like whatever it is, just ship it out the door. And Ed Freeze, who was like the head of Microsoft Studios at the time, he actually threatened to walk out and quit if they made him do that. So Ed Freeze, no kind of, yeah, like stood up and like, you cannot do this to Bungie. They need more time to make this game. So good on him. Yeah, for sure. They basically had to cut that last chapter, like the whole third act to get it out the door. Mm-hmm. which is very apparent when you play the game. It ends on this weird cliffhanger with the grave mind where you're like, I remember playing it and hearing people complain about the ending, like in reviews before I played it. And then I played it and I was still sort of surprised by the ending <laughs> and how abrupt it was. I'm so glad I played that in the Master Chief collection. Cause I remember hearing my friends complain about the ending. I didn't know what it was, of course, but they were like just sour about it. And so I always wonder, like, man, what happens? And then playing it and seeing it and just being like, huh. But then immediately booting up Halo 3 like two seconds later. <laughs> yeah, right, like, yeah. Imagine having to wait like three years. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. I could, like I understood. That. I was like, yeah, I can see why people were upset about this. <laughs> yeah, for me, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm just weird, but it just didn't bother me. Um, I w- as as cliffhangers go, it was one of the l- lesser offensive cliffhangers I've experienced. It was like, well. Yes, it leaves a lot hanging, but it still has enough of an arc to feel like a satisfying story. It doesn't have that, you know, great conclusion we wanted, but it just had that perfect mix for me of telling the story it wanted to tell and leaving enough like to be excited for the future. And you know, there's going to be a Halo. I mean, back when it before Halo 3 came out, it's like, well, I know there's going to be a third one. So there's going to be more Halo in the future, which is great. And again, I don't I, this is probably really unlikely that this would have happened, but it's just crazy to think that, yeah, what if they hadn't done that? And by some miracle, they hadn't made Halo 2 how they wanted. Would they feel like, oh, we told our story. We don't want to make another one. Or did Halo 3 kind of was that the catalyst to propel the series even further? I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into it more in you know next episode. But yeah, they definitely seems like Bungie was definitely like maybe this could be our last Halo. Yeah. When they were developing two and then when they were developing three and then which yeah. like, I don't know, I, I thinking about it, I don't know if I would prefer a Halo two that had the ending it, it wanted to have because like, the game already feels pretty long and 
I love Halo 3 so much. It's it's my favorite Halo game. I just don't know if I would have made that trade. Yeah, hmm. it's hard for me to say because I played it knowing that it was not going to be over in this. So it, like my perception, like my expectations were very much tempered of like, oh, I know this this is going to end on some weird thing. Whatever's happening right now isn't going to get resolved. That's fine. So it was again, it was trying me trying to put myself back in that time. But like you said, wait, it was like this doesn't seem like awful. Like it reminded me almost of like God of War 2's cliffhanger ending a little bit. I think that one's probably better, but it didn't, mm-hmm. just didn't seem like that far from that of like nobody was complaining about that at the time from what I remember. Mm, yeah. Well, it reminded me of Soul Reaver's ending because I remember Soul Reaver had like this crazy cliffhanger as well where you're just like, oh, it seems like there's more game here than they initially planned to make. And that is the case. <laughs> they did have more game planned initially. <laughs> I don't want to talk down about Halo 5 too much, but that is a big cliffhanger in that game. And one of the main differences to me is that Halo 5 doesn't really have much that happens. Most of the game, you're trying to figure out what Cortana is doing. Yeah. And then at the end, it's like, okay, this is what she's doing. This is what she wants. And then the game ends. So at least for Halo 2, there's a lot of things that happen. I mean, you've you've got these incredibly, uh, well, I don't know about rich characters, but you've got these incredible, like, like entertaining entertaining yeah iconic memorable characters that you you can't help but uh have fun with and it's like they're going on a journey that that has twists and turns and then it ends before it concludes so i guess that to me is probably one of the big differences between a satisfying and unsatisfying cliffhanger if it's like if i felt like i've gone on a journey if i felt like the characters have grown and had interesting twists and turns and it's leading somewhere that i don't know yet but i I, i'm invested then i guess that will do it for me right well, it's just the introduction of that Gravemind character. I was like, who is this guy? And what is <laughs> he's like some big tentacle monster? And I just, just what what is he and what are his abilities and powers? He just seemed powerful, like he could teleport people. But I was I still honestly don't know who that guy is <laughs> or what his no, that's, is that's, or what his powers true. are. Reeves, you're right. I'm looking at this game with a little uh rose tinted glasses. The Gravemind is a little hard to wrap your head around in those games because a lot there's not a lot explained you have to just sort of okay this is the big bad behind the flood and he's on this ring and and he can teleport me <laughs> well do you have any insight into that marcus in any of your researching um not really outside of what <laughs> we know about him it's just a big talking root <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's, uh, you know we see him again in halo 3 but yeah like i said halo 2 his role is so limited and it comes so late in the story that yeah it, i mean they definitely set him up as like we'll get back to you next game <laughs> about this <Yeah>. guy <laughs> don't worry and even and even then in halo 3 it, it, it's not super explained as well because you don't really see him like you do in 2 you see sort of tentacles and then a bunch of you know flood biomass the one thing i do know about the grave mind in this sense is that and this was i think added later but it's set up in the backstory lore that when the flood was first reintroduced into the galaxy one form it took was the primordial which ties a little bit into halo infinite because he was a prisoner on zeta halo for a while and he, in the primordial introduced itself as the last precursor, which is the master race before the forerunners. <laughs> and it was been alive for millions and millions of years. It was found on the, like outside of the galaxy on this asteroid by ancient humanity. Then, uh, the forerunners captured it after 
the forerunners fired Zeta Halo and killed a bunch of humans, I'm sure. Anyway, they they captured the primordial mendicant bias, which was the smartest forerunner AI, was forced to interrogate it. And then the primordial convinced mendicant bias to, to turn to its side and then betray the forerunners. And that's how the downfall happened to the forerunners. And that's why they were forced to fire the halos in the first place. So what the sorry i'm getting rid of the weeds here but and you're saying you don't know much about halo lore the the so the didact the villain from halo 4 there was two versions of him that was the evil version and there was a sort of good version and the sort of good version just like killed the primordial by like destroying in this uh, reverse stasis chamber that aged it by a billion years and it just disintegrated but its consciousness was allegedly then transferred to the grave mind the grave mind we meet in Halo 2 is the same consciousness from this primordial that's been around for millions and millions of years. It, it all makes perfect sense. Also, I just looked up a random fun fact about the grave mind. Apparently, he was originally going to have teeth that were skulls. What? He's going to have skull teeth, basically. <laughs> Each one of his teeth used to be a human head. I don't know about human, <laughs> but he was going to have skulls as every tooth was going to be a skull i guess makes makes me think of like yeah just like its whole biomass is just made up of corpses so it's just it's all in there and it's all just mixing around how weird would it like it's i don't know if it would smile at you but that's like either really dumb or like super baller to have a grill (laughs) (laughs) in your talking root monster do the skulls also have teeth Oh, um, and are those skulls also? Oh, no, and it keeps going. Skulls? And yeah, just yep. Master Chief's just transfixed by it. <laughs> <laughs> just, um, never seen anything this beautiful in my life. But I, I do like how yeah, the Gravemind essentially makes both these mighty warriors helpless. And then you have a truce with it because it's like, yeah, none of you. Well, the chief and the Gravemind agree. It's like, yeah, we don't want the ring to fire. So let's get to work. Yeah. Well, we're we're basically going backwards, I guess. But is there anything else we should cover in the story, Marcus? Since we've already talked about the ending. I mean, I mean, we touched on like the, I think the main thing about this game, like we mentioned before, are the dual narratives between Master Chief and, and the Arbiter that you're switching between. Um, you know, the Arbiter's whole storyline is trying to like initially like redeem himself because, like we said, he, he gets his whole like his rank, everything stripped, but he does get that Arbiter mantle which uh like you alluded to before is meant to be kind of a religious position like you're pretty much like a high-ranking like you you are the guy basically and Mm -hmm. it's only given out when like stuff hits the fan basically (laughs) and you're the guy that's supposed to help fix whatever's wrong and you know there's a rebellion within the covenant like uh kind of the first hint that he gets that something is up because he's sent to assassinate a, a heretic so to speak but then that heretic kind of is the first person to hint to him like hey yeah the stuff we believe in is is like bs like you know (laughs) open your eyes man basically the elites are blind arbiter but i will make them see here's here's my new newsletter man check it out and you know but he gets uh murked by um another character we haven't talked about yet a tartarus who's kind of like is uh i guess like his rival it's probably the best way to describe him he's kind of like the uh you know, he's down for the cause, basically, with the Covenant. Very uh, stubborn. And him and Arbiter kind of going back and forth throughout most of the game. You know, we've mentioned before Miranda Keys, who is not a villain. is <laughs> actually a pretty nice lady. He doesn't put a bomb on your back? No, at least not this time. Um, but uh, the other interesting thing is that the beginning of the game is that the Covenant discover Earth. Because apparently in between the uh, 
the first two games, they got the uh, from a Forerunner device, I believe. They found a location to Earth. So it starts, at least Master Chief's story starts with uh, them invading uh, New Mobasa, which is in Africa. And mm-hmm. so it's the Mass Effect 3 story come early for them (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't know if they're clear about that in the game about why they 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 weren't expecting to find earth that's why there was a smaller force yeah because like the original thing in the first game was you know the reason cortana was given to chief among other reasons but like they're like hey she's got all the info on her make sure they don't get this and that never happens and i was looking around it's like when did this how did they get it <laughs> like i don't yeah. remember yeah. that happening in either game they just kind of say like we found you yeah that's a big plot point in halo one it's it's like oh yeah i i, I completed my mission in halo one they 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 didn't get cortana so they can't find earth halo two starts oh they found her <laughs> surprise oh you guys having a party because <laughs> they are celebrating like hey we did it they're having the return of the jedi party and then these guys show up that's right <laughs> yeah because it starts with you talking to johnson on that elevator or whatever yep because remember like a ton of people died at the end of halo one because they had to blow up the the ring so it was meant to be like a morale boosting like hey yeah we won but also humanity's kind of down about what happened so can you get out there and maybe keep it on the dl how many people we lost and cheer them up a bit so i read uh halo first strike which shows that a few people survived it, w- it wasn't just everyone except the chief and apparently johnson <laughs> but yeah a lot of people did die it's like oh all the marines i saved oh okay <laughs> like let's talk about that flood thing that happened that was weird and it's kind of what i like about halo 2 a lot and i think it's my favorite story honestly of the th- well next to four and we'll get to four eventually because i know that's controversial but um i i like the the way the story kind of constantly intersects the the covenant with humanity not just pitting them against them but when they have to work together against the flood which you know becomes a bigger thing in three between like you know obviously the run-ins with the arbiter but also as it as it becomes more apparent of like the real threat for the universe there's like situations where like the arbiter has to team up with keys and johnson and even tartarus has to work with them for like a brief period because like the prophets kind of or at least you know they're they're they have their own agenda of course but they kind of order like, hey, yeah, you Tartarus go with the humans and, you know, go get the Halo ring stuff done. But also, you know, do our thing, too. But, you know, but yeah. also work yeah. with them, please. Well, I remember it being a big deal. The, this is the first time you see the prophets, too. And I remember in early previews of the yeah. game, everybody was talking about there's a new alien and it's like in this floating wheelchair thing. Three, three of them. Like, what is this? I'm trying to imagine what it looked like, too. Yeah. Also, continuing the Covenant's weird, overly dramatic naming conventions. Like all their ships are like the most poetically oh, named it's great. ships ever. And, I love it. And then the pro- it's just so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cooler than calling something. Oh, that that's a, a Star Destroyer. I don't know. It's like we've we've been there. We've done the that. uss idaho or something it's an interesting juxtaposition because they <laughs> yeah. look so fearsome and almost primitive a lot of them you know and then you see yeah. their ships and even the prophets being like you know i'm the prophet of truth and i'm the prophet of mercy and you're like oh okay <laughs> um, we see two of them get off in this game and we off one of them <laughs> yes one of them we do i believe it's uh reg- truth is the one that makes it at the end mercy gets killed by the flood so it's regret the one that we it's got to be it's got to be regret then yeah yeah and yeah so so michael wincott is the voice actor of truth one of my f- just he's, his voice is so good for this role it's so intimidating i haven't seen him in a lot of stuff like the count of monte cristo is another one i've seen him in but 
he's, he's, his voice is just so menacing. And I do lament that they did not cast him after this game. Unfortunately, oh, really? He wasn't in three. They re they, yeah, they recasted him. Oh, huh. Okay. Also, what a cool title. It just sounds cool to say. I'm the voice actor of truth with no context <laughs> <Yeah>. whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Master Chief and Arbiter meet below the halo after uh, they both kind of get knocked into the bowels of the ring through different means, uh, which is kind of a cool moment to see them come face to face, as well as face to face to face with the grave mind, as we mentioned before. I like the moment right before that, where he, when when he sees Trent Master Chief looks up and sees the whole Covenant fleet arriving and then high charity. It's just like. That's the most Cortana says it in that cutscene is like, that's the most covenant ships anyone's ever seen. It's just, it keeps upping the stakes in a really interesting way. So I keep liking that. Yeah. There's a lot going on because like, you know, on the human side, they discover the second ring and you know, immediately later, well, we got to blow this one up too. So we know what this yeah. means. <laughs> and on the, like we said, on the arbiter covenant side, he realizes that the thing they believe in is nonsense and is going to get them all killed. So he's trying to find his own way of either convincing the, the prophets and faction while also, you know, dealing with the flood stuff as well. And so, yeah, they come face to face with the grave mine who basically confirms to the arbiter, like, yeah, that stuff you believe in is no, <laughs> it's, it's totally not right. <laughs> but, you know, you guys, we got to work together, right? Which winds up being a lie or at least a distraction for. The, yeah, for the- but I, I like that the arbiter doesn't really know if he believes the grave mine at first. Mm-hmm. He's just sort of keeping his doubt to himself. And then that juxtaposes really well with how the prophets want to change the guard from elites to brutes because the chief got through the guard and killed one of the prophets. Yeah. So that made it a lot easier for the arbiter to make the switch of his allegiance along with the rest of the elites. It was all done in a really, I guess, believable way. I think a lesser story would just like say, oh, nope, the arbiter believes them and the elites just all change their mind. Yeah, because wasn't it, it was basically like the elites got order 66th by the prophets right like yeah there was like i mean i, I don't Tart- yeah Tart- yeah Tart- that's right Tartarus reveals to uh the arbiter like yeah we were gonna kill all you guys like it wasn't just like oh we're replacing you guys it's like no we were the prophets want all you guys dead oh tartarus is the one who throws arbiter in a pit yeah i don't know if he has a bomb but he's like <laughs> yeah. fool the prophets told me to do it <laughs> that kind of winds up being like really the final thing that sends the arbiter like against the covenant right mm-hmm. like now he's been completely betrayed and it's all out in the open now so yeah like i said they're they're doing their whole like hey you know best of luck in your future endeavors it's just we're doing some restructuring up top we don't we don't need <laughs> you we, we we've replaced you with something cheaper yeah. i remember at the end of this game too i remember thinking like okay so in future halos i guess the elites will be my friend ostensibly mm-hmm. and i don't think that's really do you ever are you ever friends with any elite ever after this <laughs> it's just the like arbiter? himself i mean the uh, arbiter i guess you do see him in three right yeah yeah, yeah. Well, so in in three you do fight alongside him also if you have four players who in co-op three of you are elites second player is arbiter and then the other two are nameless elites i forget their oh, their names oh, but, like one of his followers. but you do fight alongside the arbiter for a couple levels and elites for sure in a couple as well when you're assaulting the arc okay so yeah the end is uh let me say it's wild you know kind of after this you know goes down uh tartarus activates the ring and that leads to like a boss fight where you kill him but before the ring can kind of really get going keys takes the index off and it kind of sets all of the rings nearby in like a standby mode 
where they can be all activated remotely. And then uh, Guilty Spark tells them like, oh, that can be done at this place called the Ark. And, you know, that's kind of left hanging for now. And then, you know, the end in is when Truth Ship shows up on Earth and we get the famous line where, you know, Master <laughs> Chief tells uh, Johnson like, hey, we're going to finish the fight. That's my Master Chief voice. That's right. They do a really great cut, too, because they say Guilty Spark says they can fire the, the rest of the rings at the Ark. And then the Arbiter says, and where, Oracle, is that? And then it cuts to Earth. So without saying it, you get the picture. Oh, the Ark is on Earth. And this is going to be this amazing finish to the story yeah. when the next game comes out. Whenever we get to play that. Yeah. Yeah. There is a post credit scene as well. Um, that's interesting. Where Because um, at this point, the Grave Minus captured and completely taken over high charity. Whereas Cortana is. Because there's a point where you leave Cortana behind in the story because she's going to deal with something on the on the ship or the ring. But I, I forget. I lost. Where I yeah, so they were they, she the plan was to blow up in Amber Clad's reactor to destroy the flood in high charity. Right. And she didn't want to chance a remote detonation. She was going to do it manually. That's right. But she wasn't able to because the flood grave mine got in the way. Right. So she's stuck on the ship with the grave mine, basically. <laughs> and uh, but her and the grave mine uh, meets Cortana and they have a conversation where you just ask Cortana that he wants her to answer some questions and she agrees to do so and it cut and it just cuts the black from there so you're left wondering like oh what's what's that all about okay but yeah that is the that is a by and large the story of halo 2 like you said it would take three years before fans would get a resolution or if you're like me like three minutes yeah. <laughs> uh, i should have just been smart and waited what was i thinking i know just should have known they would bundle it and remaster it and come on What'd you guys think of Halo 2 overall? Is it, uh, I don't know, worth going back to at this point? Like looking at it a whole, like it's in, in spite of its flaws, you know, it's the weird ending. They definitely had some, some compromises they made during development, but they got a lot of it in there. You know, dual wielding was in there. You could hijack vehicles. The AI could drive vehicles. Yeah, the laser sword was a huge thing. A laser sword. Especially yeah. Multiplayer. Like that thing was maybe a little OP. <laughs> I remember thinking that like at the time I was like, this is the new golden gun. Cause when I played land parties, like if you got an yeah. energy sword, you were just wrecking people. It was so bad. Cause it was just like a one hit kills. Like if I saw someone with that, I would go the other way. <laughs> I was like, I can't beat that. I just remember thinking like, I should be able to take you down. Cause you're all the way on the other side of the map and I'm shooting <laughs> you. you. The but somehow, you know, like you had just enough shields and if you got close enough and you perfected that timing, like and you could hit the button right as the reticle changed, you know, so you knew you were good to hit it. They were done. Yeah, you you lunge. Yeah. And I never could do this, but a few friends that I had at the time perfected the sword glitch where you have an empty rocket launcher and you quick switch it out. It does something where like the rocket launcher reticule turns red and it could be across the map. And if you switch out the sword and do it just right, you will <laughs> lunge across the map and kill them. Oh my gosh. I remember hearing about that. <laughs> yeah. I can never do it, but like, yeah, things, things like that just made the multiplayer so much fun. I didn't do a lot of the co-op. It was cause I, I think I tried doing legendary with a buddy of mine, but there was this weird twist where, and I think it was just halo two, where if one of you dies, it resets you both to the checkpoint instead of both of you dying like it normally is. So it was notoriously hard. Uh, but Reeves, to answer your question, um, 
I haven't played this game in a while, but it will, uh, it'll always have this reverence in my heart for how much I loved it when it came out. And, you know, it's one of those games that I'll, I'll go through and just play through the older one, like trilogy, maybe the original five games, you know, when, when I'm revisiting the series, just because it is, it does have a special place in my heart. I think the thing I love the most about it since I, I don't know, it, it's tough to go back to the multiplayer when newer games are out, but I just love the story. I, I love how it, it does the, I just love their storytelling. Like one of the things I, I really liked is how it sets up how intimidating the covenant are right from the beginning where you Johnson points out when you're on the Cairo, I think it's the, is the station you're on like, Hey, this whole station is an enormous gun and it'll put around completely through a covenant capital ship. Like no problem. And the planet is just or like orbited with these things. So yeah, we're, we're pretty safe. And then this like small, relatively small force a 50th the size of that destroyed reach as Lord hood says arrives just on a whim and just blows past it. So you get the sense right away that you're outmanned and outgunned as the saying goes, and you have to be the master chief and, and kick some covenant, butt. so, and, and just like up in the ante with like military jargon and, and, and soldiers doing things like recon missions when the scarab makes an appearance, just like really upping the stakes in all the ways you want a sequel to. I just, yeah, I think it's, it's, a pitch perfect sequel to an already amazing game. So yeah, I yeah. always love Halo too. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk about the scarab. Like that thing looked awesome. Yeah. I, I think you nailed it, Wade. I'm, I'm learning as I'm doing, as we're doing this podcast series that like Halo by and large, like I, I think the lore is fine, but I've always had a hard time, like really getting invested in it. Like the way you are Wade, which I think is awesome. But I, I've learned with this last, with this episode and last one, that I find a greater appreciation kind of having to dig into it you know, for the purposes of this podcast, I'm like, Oh, this is maybe a bit cooler than maybe I got out of it the first time around. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's this weird duality because I don't think Bungie really wanted you to have to read all the books to get the story. So they made it pretty simple. I mean, relatively, obviously that we talked about how the grave mind, it's hard to understand. But when I played the game, I, I, I basically, I was like, I got it. I'm like, okay, the aliens want to kill everybody. The flood wants to kill everybody. You got to stop them. It's every level you have a clear directive what you're trying to go for. I think 343's approach has been a little bit more like, oh no, you become a part of this larger universe. So, but you do, I, I found you do get a little bit more out of it reading the books. Although, you know, there's something to be said for the purity of just enjoying a piece of fiction on its own. So it's, yeah. it's a tough duality. It's kind of like being a Star Wars fan, but only watching the films, which is where I'm at. Like I've never watched, yes. read a piece of That's the expanded right. media or anything like that. But yeah, I think Halo 2 is on that list of like it is it is what every sequel should aspire to be. I think it's better in every way. Like it plays better. The multiplayer is better. It's got the benefit of being online now. The story is a lot more ambitious and a lot more interesting. The characters are fleshed out more. They even take a chance by doing the dual narrative and giving you a new character to play as and not just Chief. So they didn't kind of rest in their laurels in that sense. And in a way, you would think maybe it'd even be a little gun shy of that because you mentioned earlier been the reaction to Raiden and Sons of Liberty, what, two years prior to this? That, you know, you don't only play as yeah. Arbiter, but, you know, they were probably like, maybe we should only let play- players be the, the guy that they already like. <laughs> um, but they went for it anyway. And when you take into account all of that and the, I guess, apparently very tumultuous development history, it's kind of a miracle this game turned out as well as it did. So, yeah, I think I think it's on that maybe a short list of sequels that are better in every possible way of their already very good predecessor. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah. Halo two, as we've said, 
came out November 9th, 2004. They had an interesting marketing campaign. Do you guys remember the I Love Bees thing? Yeah, uh, I never got to partake in it, but I researched it afterwards and it sounds pretty... You know, I, I see this with Bungie with Destiny too. They they love these really esoteric, hard to penetrate uh, bits of like community building, where you'll have to talk to of you know friends. You'll have to communicate online to figure out just what is going on with this strange mystery we have to solve together. Because right, it was like a beekeeping site that seemed to be hacked by an AI. Yeah, and then you had to like get into the story of that AI. Yeah, I I I remember hearing about it before so i heard about it from a couple of friends before the game came out and they're like have you heard of this isle of bees thing and like we didn't even know it was connected to halo when we first heard about it so we were like this isle of bees everybody's talking about it and it's this website that was like some fan of bees just created a website like bees isn't the insect right yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. the the insect that makes honey and it was being corrupted and we were, it was clear that something weird was going on with the site. And so I remember looking at it and people were dissecting code from the thing and finding out that there's these certain locations in the world that correlate with these telephones. And then people would go to the phones and hang out. There was a guy who hung out by a phone, like in the middle of a tornado or a hurricane or something. And he, he answered the phone and he got like a message and people were, it was like one of the first augmented reality games that I can remember hearing about. And people were like communicating online about this game and solving puzzles. And I, I found out later that it was like, oh, this is connected to Halo. That guy survived, right? Mr. Tornado, by the way. It like, wasn't, wasn't a thing. It, it was like at the end of this, this goose chase, a select amount of people got to play Halo two before it came out right yeah in like a theater the people who i don't know won the game or whatever got to go and yeah. play Halo before it came out for a while it felt like this was like becoming as popular as the thing it was like it was a piece of marketing that was like a popular thing huh. which is a kind of a weird yeah. thing that's wild i missed all that it it just it, it strikes me as um just like a really interesting word of mouth sort of organic community building exercise right which um which i know bungie's always been for as long as I can remember, really interested in building community and fostering that. So that's really interesting. Yeah. That was a little cool little bit. And I guess they've, they've dropped Easter eggs about I love bees and stuff in future halo games. So I haven't totally forgotten about it. (laughs) They should do that again. If they ever do destiny three, they should bring that back. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? I love otters. (laughs) I, I do really miss, I don't know if they do this anymore, but I used to love, websites that played around with really strange interfaces and like, yeah, things that were glitchy. I remember the, this website for Donnie Darko did a similar thing where the site was like glitched out and you only, it's like you're being communicated with from a, from like an alien species or something. I'm sure sites don't really want to invest the time and resources to build that anymore because it's probably a pain in the butt, but now you, now you just give a code to a streamer, call it good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. There there it is. Oh boy. (laughs) Well, we really love the game. I remember Andy McNamara and Adam Biesner both reviewed it. They gave it a 10. Both of them gave it a 10. So perfect score. That's right. The game set a record of 1.5 million copies pre-ordered before the game even came out. And then it sold 2.4 million copies, earning up to 125 million in its first 24 hours alone. Which was that's a, insane. It was the highest grossing. It was a record for the highest grossing entertainment thing ever. I remember mm. this making a ton of headlines at the time. 
but like it beat the film Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest as the highest grossing release in 24 hours. Wow. And then, of course, that has been surpassed. I think Halo 3 surpassed Speaking it. Speaking of things with bad cliffhangers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. Oh, boy. Uh, what? Red Dead? Doesn't that hold the record now? Red Dead Redemption 2, I want to say. Uh, of like the biggest, the best-selling piece of media ever? Is that the record? Yeah, the record for highest gross in 24 hours. Oh, man. I don't know. Red Dead 2? I think it's Red Dead 2 right now. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, it was a big deal. Halo 2 was a big deal. What a, what a time to be alive, 2004. I'm glad I, I'm glad I lived to see it. Yeah, I, I miss it. I want to go see Spider-Man 2 again for the first time. Right. Boy, <laughs> and, and get ready for November 9th and everyone being more excited about Halo 2 than my birthday. How <laughs> could they? How rude. Those jerks. Well, yeah, that's it. That's Halo. Halo 2, I should say. Any final thoughts on Halo 2? Uh, you should play it. I, I, I agree. If like one of the great things about the anniversary edition is it makes it more approachable. It's like I, I could understand not wanting to play it if it, you'd have to bust out an Xbox and see if you could get it, the disc running. But mm-hmm. I love that 343 invested the time and resources to make the first and second Halo games, you know, look a lot better, play a little better and just kind of honor the legacy of it. Like, that's just so cool to have in 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 a time when everyone just wants to keep cranking out new games and look forward to the, what's coming out next. It's like, it's just nice to have these games that you grew up with and cared about sort of, you know, remembered in a, or, or uh, not remembered, but able to revisit in, in a way that makes it feel like, Hey, I'm playing this again for the first time. It, it looks fresh. It, it feels good. It looks amazing. So yeah. Yeah. It's on game pass, Master Chief collection. Like it, it's very easy to access. <laughs> on pc now it's a fun history lesson i'll say that great well thank you everybody out there for listening to this episode of video gameography we appreciate it please like and subscribe please leave us a review wherever you get this you can follow me at benjamin reeves on twitter and you can follow me at marcus stewart seven that's the number seven and wade do you want to plug anything yeah uh my twitter's uh, at wade wojcik w-a-d-e-w-o-j-c-i-k got any other halo projects in the works <laughs> uh not at the moment but um i guess like so on my uh youtube channel i've been putting out these like ambient videos i've been into those lately so i've got like an iron man one a bioshock infinite one. Oh, and i do have an odst ambient piece i've been wanting to do more halo ones just on my youtube channel so go check those out i guess what's your youtube channel yeah oh it's it's wade Wojcik. Oh, great. great well thanks everybody again for for listening We'll come back next week. We will finish the fight, as they say. There will be no more episodes after that one, you you say, right? That's right. Well, (laughs) no more fighting, that's for sure. Wade, what's the most interesting piece of Halo trivia you know? Oh, boy. Uh, You know, it used to be something I read in uh, Halo First Strike, and that's in that book. It's revealed that uh, Sergeant Johnson's... All right, we're out of time.